0: Austin: Good morning. Let me uh, just share with Don in welcoming you this morning. If you're a guest, as he said, we are really glad that you're here today. Uh, if you're here regularly, we're, we're glad you're here as well, but uh, we're especially glad to have those visiting with us today who are visiting. Uh, we know that we have some families that are visiting uh, as they're dropping their kids back off after uh, Christmas break. Uh, from college, and uh, we're glad that you're visiting with us this morning as well. Um, We have wrapped up our series that is on uh, uh, kind of the Isaiah passage about uh, the identities of Christ. We still kind of have some reminders up on the the side of that particular series, Uh, but we're beginning a new one, and uh, I'm calling this one True Religion, Life in the Shape of Jesus. Uh, For the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and the way in which Jesus' life informs how we are called to live. Uh, I I think, you know, that's kind of our goal. Our aim as Christians is to live more like Jesus. And uh, there's nothing better that we could do than, I think, ask, what does it look like for us to take the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus and form ourselves into that shape. Uh, this morning, Boston read for us from, uh, from Colossians, uh, a book that we don't go to quite as often as I think we should, but there's that verse at the end that he read to us. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Most of us can actually quote those verses pretty well. We, we know them, right? Uh, and, and I think most of us would affirm the idea that we really like being able to say what Paul says here and elsewhere in the New Testament, that those differences between us become significantly less important in light of our relationship with Christ. But it occurred to me, as I was putting together this series, that that last little tag... That he places in there is one that we don't usually quote when we're repeating this verse and i'm not sure why that is because this is the thrust of the entire passage but christ is all and in all he talks about these two paths here he begins by telling us look You used to walk in these ways, sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, these these evil and wicked things that dwelled in you and the way in which you behaved reflected those things. You were shaped by the world. And maybe your identity was informed by one of these names that's given to you, Greek or Jew. Maybe it was informed by the the status in society as a circumcised individual or an uncircumcised individual. Maybe because you're a, a barbarian, right? You're one of those people that speaks that weird language up there. Did you know barbarian actually comes from the ways that the Greeks perceived the speaking of the Germans? Bar, 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 bar is what they thought that they were saying all the time. I'm not even joking. This is an etymology thing here. They called them the barbarians because their language just sounded like they were saying bar, bar, bar all the time. Um, it's, it's a funny kind of situation. Maybe you're one of those uneducated individuals who speaks funny. Maybe you're, Maybe you're a Scythian, you know, even worse than a barbarian. Maybe you're a slave. Maybe you're free. Are those the things that inform who you are, if if those are the things that inform who you are, you might struggle with all of these other idolatries and ways of behavior that we talked about at first. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Elsewhere, Paul uses the phrase, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, right? And he uses this language. Maybe your entire identity, your behavior is informed not just by uh, your nationality, not just by your status as free or slave, but maybe you behave in a particular way because society has said this is what it means to be a man, or this is what it means to be a woman. And in your society, perhaps, adherence to the societal standard for a man or a woman causes you to use obscene talk, to have anger in your heart, to behave in ways that Christ would consider inappropriate. And he boils it all down again to this last tag on this paragraph, but Christ is all and is in all. What does it mean for us to believe that Christ is all and in all? I think it means that we change entirely the way that we live our lives so that they're not informed by external choices, by external factors, but they're entirely informed by the one who dwells within us. And we begin this inward-to-outward change. The one that dwells in us informs our thoughts Actually, interestingly, I I filled in for Kyle this week uh, on Wednesday, working with the youth group, and, and he had this circle, and at the center was Christ, and Christ in us, and this idea of it ballooning out so that he informs our thoughts, he informs the meditation of our hearts, he informs our intentions, he informs then our works of our hand, and it radiates out. And so thinking about this, I I could not help but think about how this applies to the teachings of Jesus and what it means for us to take Christ and make him all because he is in all. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to get them open. We're going to spend some time in the, the Gospels this morning, uh, and also in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to be doing a little jumping around, but uh, it's, it's important, I think, for us to understand as we begin this series, what it means for us to adhere to Christ, to become shaped by Him. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, we read the following, You are the light of the world, a city Set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, this is kind of a part of what we might consider the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins with telling the the crowd, blessed are the, and then he recites the Beatitudes, or doesn't recite them. He shares them for the first time. He tells them, this is what it means to be blessed in the kingdom of heaven. And then he tells them, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be blessed. Hidden. And he uses this concept of the idea that that our behaviors will be a reflection of the God that we serve. If we behave in the correct way, others will praise our Father who is in heaven. They'll give glory to him. This has always been God's intention for God's people. We, uh, we saw this earlier, this, this Latin, uh, actually, yeah, last year, not earlier this year, last year during the summertime, we looked at the whole book of Deuteronomy and there was a sermon that I preached that came directly from Deut- Deuteronomy chapter four, verse five through six, and I want to read that to you. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. He goes on to say, they'll they'll say, what nation has a God who dwells so close to them? What nation has a law as righteous as this? Moses, by God's command, taught the people that their adherence to his commands, to God's commands, would be a light to the nations. That they would glorify the God of Israel because of their adherence to a set of principles, to practices, to ways of being. That Israel, in fact, could be an embodiment of the kingdom of heaven if they obeyed and kept the commands of God. And that would be transformative for the people around them. I hope you see some parallels between what Moses says here and what Jesus just told us. Look, look again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What people have a law as righteous as this? This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of the teaching of Jesus to his disciples about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be a city on a hill, to be a light that is not hidden. He says the whole point of righteous living is that others will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, sometimes I think we get to the, uh, the passages that follow this in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and what we begin to say to ourselves is, I keep these commands so that I might be saved. We become very much focused on this works salvation idea. James, who I've based the title of this entire series on, tells us that faith without works is dead, but he's not teaching us that faith, salvation comes by works. What he's teaching us is that our faith will shape us so we have no choice but to do good works. The good works are an evidence of someone who has been saved, of a gratitude to the God who has saved you. If your life doesn't look more like Jesus in light of your salvation, you've got to start asking yourself, how important has the salvation you've received been to you? How significant is the work of Christ in your life if you don't want to follow him. You're willing to accept a gift from him, but not to make any change in who you are. And so I want to be really clear, as we go into this series, I'm not going to be trying to teach to you a works salvation model. What I'm trying to emphasize for all of us here is that if we have been saved, we have no choice but to begin to do the good works that the Father has prepared in advance for us to do. And if you're not finding a lot of good works in your life, you've got to start asking yourself, what is my relationship to the salvation I claim to have received? And so I want to skip forward here uh, just a little bit. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. This is what Moses says to the people. In order for them to be able to keep the commands of God, they have to believe something about him. They have to feel disposed to him in some way. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. If you love God with all of who you are, the law will become innate in who you are. It will be on your heart. It will become entrenched in your way of being. This is called the Shema. This is the the primary prayer of the Israelite people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. This is the prayer of the people of the, the, the covenant. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is the teaching of Moses, but you know what? It's not just the teaching of Moses. This is also the teaching of Jesus. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I want to ask you this morning is your adherence to the teachings of Christ such that people would say I think they love the Lord their God with their entire being? Being confessional this morning I think there are times where people would look at me and say I'm not entirely sure he's all in. Sometimes the actions of my hand the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart are very much not in line with the idea that i love the lord thy god with all or the lord my god with all my heart and so this morning As we consider the words of Moses, but we also consider the words of Jesus, I want to encourage you to be a little self-reflective. We're entering into this new year, right? We're talking about this idea that we want to be uh, new people. It's a new start, a new beginning, right? Something different that we get to do. Uh, We can kind of put the past behind us and move forward. What better place to start than with some introspection about whether or not we keep the commandments of Jesus? Not because we think that they're going to save us, but because we love him so desperately, so deeply, with such a great fervor that we can't help but do the things that please him. Because we want to glorify him, but we also want others to glorify him. It's interesting to me that when Jesus ultimately boils down what it means to love him. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says this, If you love me, you will, and I have a weird comma in there, I don't know why, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I am not the one equating our love of Christ with an adherence to a set of behaviors and practices. Jesus is. If you look at your life and you say, you know, there are a lot of ways in which I simply do not love my neighbor well. I'm not spending a whole lot of time giving water to those who are thirsty. I'm not really feeding the poor. I get angry with my brother and my spouse and my children and my neighbor, and my co-worker, and myself, far more often than I should. You know what? I've wished harm on other people. There are times where I really very much want what someone else has more than I want what God has already given to me. If you look at your life and those are the reflections that you have on your behaviors and your way of thinking and your way of being, it's time to ask yourself, how much do I really love Christ if I struggle so deeply to keep his commands? Now, I'm not saying that any of us are ever going to be perfect in this. Paul tells us none of us are perfect. We all struggle. We are being made perfect. It's an ongoing process. I I hope to say that every one of us recognizes we should be a work in progress. There are probably things in our lives that we can look at and say, yeah, this is an area I need to grow in. But if we've stopped reflecting on whether or not we're keeping the commands of Christ, it's really difficult to make progress. If we, we kind of reach a point where we're like, yeah, you know, I've, I've arrived. I'm pretty good. I don't really want to open the book of my, my behaviors and ask myself whether or not I am living out the gospel of Christ. I feel pretty good and confident that I'm a, a, a fully formed Christian at this point. If we don't have the time to set aside to say, am I who Jesus wants me to be? Am I growing in these ways? What areas do I need to grow in? And then taking action To keep the commands of Christ that we're not already keeping? Maybe we don't love him as much as we say. On Wednesday night in the teen uh, teen class, uh, Corey will attest to this, we're reading through uh, the story of the rich young ruler. And there's this moment where Jesus looks at the young man who's just said, I've kept all the commandments since my birth or since I was young. And Jesus looks at him and loves him. Right? Okay, I love that you believe that you're keeping the commands really well. And if that's really true, there's just one more thing I ask of you. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And then follow me. And the young man walks away dejected. Says his, his face fell because he had a lot of wealth. It's a progressive sort of thing, right? If, if he hadn't have kept all those other commands, which you know, I think most of us know it's probably a little bit of uh, bragging or, or self, uh, self-righteousness or, or maybe hot, uh, not hot-headedness, fool-headedness, I guess, that makes him say, I've kept all those commands. Jesus says, well, really, okay, if, if you've done that, there's still more for you to do. And if you haven't done all those things, let's start with those. Let's start with honoring your father and mother. Let's start with with not murdering or committing adultery, bearing false witness. Let's start with those things. So, I want to ask you this morning if you're the rich young ruler and you come to Christ and he says, What are the laws? What are the commands? What are the ones you're not going to include in the list because it's a little uncomfortable to present them to Jesus? Because you won't be able to give the answer. I've kept all of them since I was very young. Because I, I think it's safe to say that when the rich young ruler gives half dozen commands to Jesus, there are a couple hundred that are missing. There are areas in which we are falling short of who Christ has called us to be. And we don't raise those to ourselves. We don't bring them up in conversation with him because we're afraid we might get a response like, hey, sell all your possessions. Give to the poor and come follow me. Hey, love your wife like Christ loves the church come follow me. Hey, care for widows and orphans. Come follow me. Hey, dine with a few sinners and tax collectors. Come follow me. See, these are things that Jesus himself did And when he called his disciples to follow him, they followed him into these things. And they got raked over the coals for it sometimes. Why in the world are you eating with sinners and tax collectors and not fasting like John's disciples? Well, Jesus told us to follow him, and that's what he's doing, so that's where we're going. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Are there areas where Jesus goes to that you are not come following Are there areas in the life of Christ that you've said, you know what? I'm just not going to bring it up in conversation with him because I really don't want to have to change in this way or I'm going to have to walk out the door with my face down toward the ground because I have a lot of money. I have a lot of lust in my heart. I have a lot of pride in myself. I have a lot of self-righteousness that builds up anger against the people that God has placed in my life. And that's an awful lot to give up. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Do I love Jesus enough to seriously ask him, what do I lack? What is the thing I need to follow and adhere to more moving forward? I want to challenge you this morning, as we enter into this new year, to ask yourself that question. What do you lack? So we have this passage in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 27, and I I want to kind of summarize it for you. We're not going to read the whole thing, but ultimately jesus tells them that uh, you know if if they're going to do what it is that he's called them to do these are the ways in which they're going to live right he begins the process of teaching them how to be his disciples, and he begins with addressing something that I think most of us struggle with, anger. Last week, we talked about the idea that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and that that means that we need to begin to be peacemakers. Wherever we go, whatever we do, the ways that we interact with people, in as much as it is up to us, we need to make peace with everyone. That's where Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, But interestingly, the last teaching of Jesus and the first teaching of Jesus both share a little in common. Matthew chapter 25 there's this, this long section where Jesus has been teaching to the disciples, and, and as he gets ready to go to the cross, at least in Matthew's uh, gospel, as he gets ready to go and eat the last supper to be betrayed, as he gets ready to go and do the great work of salvation that is his death, burial, and resurrection, he teaches to his disciples these things. He says, you know, the end at the end of the age, when... Everyone comes before the Father. God is going to set the sheep and the goats on one side and the other, and He is going to ask them, or rather tell them, hey, you, enter into your reward, for you saw me. And then He lists things that are, are works, ways of behaving and treating those who are disadvantaged, giving water to the thirsty, giving food to the sick, clothing those who are naked, visiting those who are in prison. He says, Well done. Enter into your, re- your reward. They you say, Lord, when did we ever do that? And he says, Well, where- wherever you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. He turns to another group and they, they receive essentially the inverted version of that. You didn't do any of these things when you saw those who were struggling, disadvantaged in life in some way, that were hungry, were thirsty, were naked, were, were sick, were in prison. You didn't, you didn't care for them. You didn't follow my commands when you encountered them. So you didn't do it for me. Lord, we never saw you in that position. Again, if you had done it for the least of these, my brothers, you would have done it for me. So I think about these two at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and at the end of uh, uh, this kind of dialogue that Jesus shares with the crowd. He says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven but only those who do my will. Matthew 25, verse 44, Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or insert the blank. These two teachings, these two sermons that Jesus offers to his followers... Are very much about this idea that if we are, in fact, saved people, our behavior will reflect it. If our behavior doesn't reflect it, maybe we're not the saved people. Again, I want to be clear I am not going to go to heaven because I cared for the poor. I will not spend eternity with Christ because I gave water to those who were thirsty. Eternal life is not mine because I've never murdered anybody. But I certainly don't do those things in light of my salvation. Paul says, shall we sin more so that grace may abound? Let it never be. Paul's expectation is, once we have become a part of the body of Christ, we change. We don't increase our wickedness, certainly, but ideally, we make some progress in the other direction. And So this morning, as we, we begin this series, thinking on what it means to be people who live in light of our salvation, I want to remind you one more time that the whole theme of this is life in the shape of Christ, life in the shape of Jesus. And so we might despair a little bit. Well, I don't even know how to begin to be a better person. I'm going to tell you right now, the best way to start is to look a little bit more at the life of Jesus and ask, well, how did he live? How did he deal with With difficult people? How did he deal with the poor? How did he interact with those who were uh, slaves? How did he interact with those who were the least in society? How did he interact with those who shared different religious convictions than himself? This is a pitch now, okay? I'm moving to the pitch section here this morning. In the back, in the foyer, are some Bibles. They are one-year Bibles. They're English Standard Version. They are uh, actually brought to us this morning by, by Greg uh, This earlier this week. He's like, hey, are we doing a Bible reading program this week? And I was like, well, you know, I sent out an email, and we had, you know, something up on the website, and it's on Facebook, but, but we didn't really do like a big push from the pulpit, and I want to tell you this morning, the best way for you to know what it looks like to live like Jesus is to look at Jesus, If you want to be more like Christ, you have to read more about who Christ was. And so in the back, we have these one-year Bibles. They are, uh, I believe, not chronological, but there's a suggested reading for each day. And they encourage you to read through the suggested reading. Some in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, some in the Psalms, some in the Proverbs. Is that correct? And so you're going to read a little bit from each of those every single day. Now, we're a week into the new year. Some of you might have to play a little bit of catch-up, but the good news is seven days is not hard to make up when you have 365 total to do it, right? If you are not reading your Bible now and you want to live a little bit more like Christ and you're maybe confused about what that looks like, now's a good time to start reading your Bible and start reading it on a regular basis to spend 10 minutes at least In meditation and thought on the Word of God. And so this morning again, as we begin this series, I want to challenge each of us to live more like Jesus, and especially if we're struggling to understand what that looks like, read your Bible. There are a lot of ways you can approach Bible reading. I think this is a good one. Don's going to give another little bit more information here at the end of service today. But I want to encourage you, read your Bible this year. You will be transformed by looking at Christ. We're literally told to turn our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want to get it right, have true religion, you have to look at Christ to know what image you're being shaped into. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be your people. We want for others to look at us and say, why are they so radically different? And then we want to be able to give the answer, it's because we love a great God. Because we have a great Savior. Because the author and perfecter of our faith has given us the best way, the greatest truth, the fullest reality of what it means to be humans created in the image of God. So this morning, Father, I, I pray and I commit myself to spending time this year trying to grow into the shape of Jesus. And I pray that there are those in this room who maybe have become a little lax in their adhering to his commands and into living into the image that he has offered to them. And I pray that they would consider this morning committing themselves to a life that pursues the image of Christ. Father, I pray this morning for those who are struggling and hurting, who find it difficult to even make the next step in the day. You would give them the fortitude, the strength to be able to run a race courageously. And Father, I pray that you would help them to live into the image of Christ as well. It's all this that we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, if you're wanting to be baptized, by the way, we had a baptism on Wednesday, Isaiah Lubin was baptized here. Uh, find him and I don't know if he's here this morning. Send him an email or a text message or give him a phone call. Don't call him because kids his age don't like to be called, okay? Send a text message. If you want to be baptized so that you can begin to walk in the steps of Christ and become more like him, you can be conformed to his image and also receive the gift of salvation— I want to encourage you to consider that this morning. We're going to be singing some more songs. You don't have to get up right now and decide that that's what you want to do, but maybe contemplate it for the rest of service. Do I want to follow Jesus? Do I want to be more like him? Do I want to love my neighbors and my wife and my children better? Do I want a relationship with God that brings me closer to who I was always created to be? If that weighs on your heart this morning, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I'd be happy to visit and pray with you. Uh, our elders are here, and they'd be happy to visit and pray with you. There are some ladies this morning that would be happy to sit down and pray and visit with you if that's what you need. Kyle is going to continue leading us in worship at this time. Let's stand and sing.